Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to our good news segment. Now, many of you heard me do a show yesterday that was called Aging with Wisdom. And the response to that show based on how many of you requested copies of the book was unbelievable. Today, one of the things that I love that Cindy Beyer is bringing to the conversation, president and CEO, Brookdale Senior Living, is that we, as we talked about yesterday, all of us uh, need to be a bit more aware of what the experiences are to all of us as we age so gracefully and so much wisdom. So today, a Mother's Day gift to yourself, senior living expert shares tips to restore balance to a caregiver's life. All of us know what it's like to care for someone, or at least many of us do, that is moving on into their wisdom years. But what is it about us that we are not aware of that is so very important? Cindy, thank you for joining us here today. I, I think what we're talking about here is one of the most progressive levels of awareness that our society needs to plug into and plug into quickly. Welcome and welcome to the show. Dr. Pat, thank you for having me. It sounds like a great program yesterday, and I'm so happy to be here today. <laughs> well, listen, this is it. Um, there are caregivers. Many of us uh, have seen moms, grandmoms, dads. We've been there for them. Um, and, you know, we've been there for them uh, regardless of what age it was that we were required to be there. But let's talk about what you mean by caregiver, because believe it or not, many of our listeners don't see themselves as that. They see themselves as I'm just doing what I know I should do. Define caregiver for us in our contemporary society. So, Dr. Pratt, it sounds like you're talking about the traditional gender roles yeah. where women are taking care of women. That's yeah. really what this is all yeah. about. <laughs> my experience with, with my mom is preparing meals, making sure she took her medication, making sure their house had everything she needed, getting groceries doing doctor's appointments, it's about making sure that my mom had the support that she needed to live her life. That's caregiving. And believe it or not, 75% of all caregivers are women, and we spend 50% more time than men doing providing caregiving, and it can be exhausting. And so today, it's really about giving that gift to yourself and to your mom so that she can live the best life possible. Yeah. I mean, this is something that goes generationally. I mean, this conversation, we can go back hundreds, if not thousands of years and look very specifically at the role of women as caregivers. Fast forward to where we are today. I do not believe that that has changed. But you're here today to tell us 
what it is about your personal journey that is so inspiring for so many people and why you're so passionate about this, Cindy. Thanks. Thanks for giving me that introduction. What I can say is it has changed quite a bit, and it's changed because there are more women that are working today. And believe it or not, I am the executive leader of America's largest senior living provider, but at the same time, I'm still a daughter who needed to take care of her mom. And so what that taught me is how important it is to take advantage of the, the services that are available to provide support for an aging parent so that you can rebuild that relationship of mother and daughter so that you can live life. And that's why I'm so passionate is because I didn't want to make the decision. I didn't want to admit that my mom was aging. I didn't want to admit that she needed help. But once I did research the options and found the right support for her, she thrived. We thrived. It was such a gift. I want everyone to have that gift this Mother's Day. Yeah. This is really important for a lot of reasons. You know, we can use the, the, the story that we hear all the time when many of us get on an airplane. And the story is, before you do anything else, if that oxygen mask drops down, you've got to put yours on first. And there is a logical, rational, and important reason for that. Because if we are not caring for ourselves, we are not going to be able to show up uh, in a way that's required to do the kind of care we're being asked to do and we ask ourselves to do. This is a big job. How is it that we can take better care of ourselves? And what did you discover in your own journey? So I will say it takes a community. And the reason that I say that is because it's a 24-7 365-day-a-year job. And so what you need to understand is what is the level of support that your loved one needs. So for some, it's, I need help with housekeeping, and wouldn't it be great if someone did all of my cooking for me? That's independent living. Mm -hmm. For others, maybe I need help with medication. And also, I'm having a little bit of trouble with my showers. That's assisted living. Or for people who are living with dementia, providing that full level of engagement so that they can thrive um, while living with dementia, it's very personal. And so what I will say, Brookdale has the widest range of options available, and it allows you to figure out what's right for you. And it's important to know that we change lives one day at a time. It's all about options. It's all about finding the good fit. And you can find all that information at brookdale.com. Yeah, I I mean, this is a, for me, um, this is a big conversation for a lot of reasons. Um, I was talking with our listeners about the latest research uh, on Alzheimer's and uh, table tennis, a.k.a. ping pong. Uh, And there are now studies that show that people that engage in playing ping pong uh, reduce their uh, recurrence of memory loss. And this is really the phenomenon. This has changed. The world we live in now, and Brookdale is out there with brain fit, the age of, age of spirit, all of the above. I mean, there's so much that you're offering. Has the landscape changed when you think about... It ab- yeah. It absolutely has changed. One of the things that we have found as 
um, we have broadened our knowledge of aging is that dementia in particular, there is a journey that you go through. And so our ClareBridge programming is the best in the nation at giving people the touch points that they need to really be happy and excel. Let me ask you this question. What are the greatest challenges? You know, today what we're talking about here, Cindy, is we are really looking at uh, the conversation about a Mother's Day gift to yourself, senior living. Uh, uh, you're the expert in this field. There are tips to restore balance to a caregiver's life because there's got to be some relief. You know, there's got to be something where we can become refueled, right? We don't want our tank to be running on empty. I think the greatest challenge is to face reality, yeah. right? Aging is a fact of life. We all go through it. Mm. Our parents go through it. But let's be honest, we don't want to admit it. We don't want to admit that mom needs more help. We don't want to admit that it's a little harder for us today to take care of everything that she needs than it was yesterday. So I will say starting a conversation, realizing the support that you need, and mm -hmm. accepting help. Yeah. That's hard for us women, accepting help. And I love this because I want to ask you this question. I think one of the toughest conversations that any of us have had to face is the conversation with our loved ones, our parents, our whoever you're caring for, where we, we sit down and we say, it might be time. It might be time to really look at doing something that's going to be better to provide you with quality care. Isn't that one of the most difficult conversations? And, and what does Brookdale Community provide? to assist with that? What I, what I will say is that is the most difficult conversation. And so it's never too early to start having a conversation. And what Brookdale provides is it provides the tools to help you have the conversation. You can find the conversation guides at brookdale.com. Mm -hmm. We can also help you by letting you come into our communities, have a tour, have lunch, get to know the residents and the associates. It's not that you have to think about moving in today, but just become educated. Understand what your options are. Provide a plan for yourself and for your loved one. That way, if a crisis happens, you don't have to make the decision in the blink of an eye, which may not be the best decision. You can make the decision that's right for you and your loved one if you start early. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you this question. I, I, what have we learned in 10 years? And what I mean by that is clearly there are some things happening. Uh, we're living longer. Uh, our needs are changing. What have we learned in that period of time? And it, I mean, it's really clear when folks go to Brookdale, uh, when they go to the website, brookdale.com, they're going to find a, a range of programs that fit very specific needs. What would you say has been the greatest lesson for us? In care, I think the greatest lesson is it's all about the individual, all around the choice that each person needs. It's about personalization and providing that personalized support and care that matters more than anything else. And I think that if you think about us at Brookdale, mm -hmm. we have almost 100,000 residents. We're the largest in the nation. But what we know is that we make a difference one life at a time, one resident at a time, one family at a time, one day at a time. Mm. What do you say as you look forward? Let's just fast forward a little bit. Um, what would you say is the next wave of care that we should all be mindful about as we move forward in respecting our elders 
uh, and honoring their wisdom and lives. Where, what do you see on the horizon? So I think that technology is playing an ever-increasing role in, in senior living. And what I will say we have seen is how technology can really enrich the lives of our seniors. We were very excited this last year to have an Celebrates Aging Film Festival where our residents made movies on their iPad and they shared their life story and what was great about aging I think we are going to celebrate aging as we move into the future. And that's what we do at Brookdale. You know, I love that you brought that up about technology because I think that's the game changer. Um, you know, if you go back in time, not very long ago, by the way, you know, 15 years when I started this on internet radio, nobody was like, I mean, we had flip phones. Um, but we're in a different day and age. And one of the misconceptions is that people that are aging, our elders, seniors, are not tech savvy. I have found that absolutely not to be true. I have found that once you sit down like you would with anyone and help people learn some new skills, they are the fastest growing radio listener population on weekends. So what can we do to be more mindful of their needs in that area? You know, we actually teach a lot of classes at Brookdale on technology, and we broadcast our very first wedding in one of our communities <laughs> of two residents who met each other and started their, their next journey of their life. So technology is something that we support, embrace, but it really is all about caring. And I'm so grateful for the tens of thousands of caring associates that we have that make it possible every day. Well, well, Cindy, I know that you're very busy today with these interviews and conversations. Please let folks know how they can find out more. And one last question, what's your personal message? What would you like to leave us with today? So what I will say is you can get a lot more information at brookdale.com. It'll tell you how to start the conversation, how to get the information you need, what types of options are available. But my message to you is give your gift to Mother's Day. Make this the best Mother's Day ever by becoming your mother's daughter again. I love it. Cindy, thank you so much for today, and thank you so much for all that you do. And I want to make sure people heard you the first time. Uh, www.brookdale.com. Tons of information Thanks, over Dr. there. Pat. Thank you so very much, everybody. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to our good news segment. You know, since we started doing these segments, all of you have really given us some great feedback. And so this is something that we are going to continue to do today. A very important, very important conversation. I'm thrilled that Dr. Terry Gleason joining me here today as Director of Clinical Science Research and Development Department of Veterans Affairs. Now, this is so important for many of us with histories and families in the military. This is what all of us are so eager and interested to find out more about. How does the VA, how do these medical centers stay on top of what the real issues are? And what is some of the cutting edge research? Well, Dr. Gleason is someone, distinguished research career uh, and much more, who is bringing the latest information to us to let us know what it is that we are uncovering for the people that have served us so greatly. Dr. Gleason, welcome today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank oh, you for having me. Well, you know, many people don't know that there's actually a VA Research Week. 
And honestly, for the folks that are listening, I think this is a breakthrough to let them know that our VA is on top of it and really staying current with what's going on in the world. Tell us about this week and what kind of research you all do. Yeah, so thank you. That is a great introduction. Uh, VA Research Week is actually an annual celebration to highlight the accomplishments of our VA research program. Um, it's an opportunity to recognize the researchers who are actually um, doctors uh, caring for our veterans at VAs who manage the research studies, as well as our veterans who volunteer to participate in research and without whom we would not be able to um, get the latest and greatest advances um, into treatment and healthcare. So Research Week um, takes place across the country. Uh, various uh, VA hospitals and centers uh, host events and uh, veteran, veteran uh, research participants as well as the scientists conducting research all get together as a community to talk about what advances have been made and um, talk about what great research uh, the individual uh, facilities are conducting. So, you know, for the many people that are listening today, um, we are all very familiar with the loved ones, the people in our own families that we know have served. And I think that to hear for many folks that you all are, are out there researching and the role that you play is all in service of providing high quality care. I don't think anybody listening to this show or anybody that is even remotely familiar with uh, the people that have served uh, are, don't care. We care. We care that you are doing this. Tell us about how important it is for the VA to be on the search for quality care. Yeah, so the quality care, I think, depends on the um, knowledge that is produced from scientific research. So our overall goal is absolutely to improve veterans' lives through research results and to know, you know, the most current, uh, the highest level advance that we can actually implement into a veteran's treatment. Um, not only treatment, but also um, research studies might look at early diagnosis and, and ways to prevent disease and so forth. So our research spans across that, but I'm just trying to emphasize, as you did, um, the importance of this activity. Without research, we wouldn't be making advances in, in, in healthcare across the board. So that's the importance of the program and, and the topic that we're talking about. Yeah, let's talk about, let's give folks a bit of history if we could, uh, because if they would want to know, okay, what role have you all played in the past about research advances and innovations? And I would love for you to take us back in time and talk about you know, some of the award-winning scientific discoveries and other discoveries, because I, I'm so, so thrilled that you are getting the word out because most people don't know. They don't know. Oh, yeah, that's a great question. We'll take a historic peek just for a minute. Yeah. Um, VA research has been in existence for um, over 90 years. And so um, the accomplishments are obviously very, very lengthy, but it begins in time, I think, um, with a, a effort to conduct 
uh, clinical trials early on for tuberculosis and how that um, actually influenced VA to support research and for research hospitals to be located near academic um, centers. So there would be a thriving synergy across the board between the hospitals and research. And what that has built as a system just continues today. Um, specific examples, though, historically that folks might be um, aware of include discoveries or inventions like the implantable cardiac pacemaker, the um, nicotine patch, um, and mentioned more recently a trial that showed the benefits of the shingle vaccine and that shingles vaccine actually um, applies to anyone, veteran or non-veteran, um, over age 60. Um, and so those are just some recent examples, but it, it, um, it goes across the board in terms of medical conditions. Okay, so for folks listening today, there's so much that we know or, or, or believe we know about what some of the issues are that uh, people that have served uh, experience, but I don't think they do. You know, for many folks, um, what are we looking at here? Are we looking at cardiac? Uh, are we looking at chronic? Are we looking at mental health? Are we looking at spinal cord injury? Give us the little bit of a depth and breadth of, you know, what research has been able to provide in terms of innovations. Yeah, so the short answer to your question is <laughs> yes, all of the above. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it's exactly as you stated. Folks will think um, if we're talking about VA research, we're talking about conditions or injuries that arise from military service and are treating and caring for veterans with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder or an injury such as an amputation from an explosion and, and so forth. However, our program is actually um, focused on all conditions that are relevant to veterans. So you mentioned a few such as cardiac care. We have a long history of um, hypertension and uh, cardiac research. We are highly promoting uh, clinical trials for cancer and looking for solution across the board for all the cancers that would impact um, the veteran population. Um, diet, exercise, those are great candidates for clinical trials we might be sponsoring. Um, and so, so the list again goes on because anything that's of relevance to the veterans is a potential target for a research study that we would sponsor. Mm. Um, I want to ask you this question. I know we only have a few minutes left. Um, I want to take a look at the future now. And I want to ask you about future research, future advances, and, and of course, how people can find out more. So let's give out a website first. And then let's talk about what do you have your eyes on in the future? Okay, so the website, thank you for asking, is www.research.va.gov. And that has information about uh, VA research as well as how to participate. Um, and then in looking for the future, I think we're all moving towards an era of more personally directed medicine. It's referred to, I think, um, pretty commonly as personalized medicine where people can tell from, or I should say providers can tell from you as an individual what treatment would be most effective. 
Um, and the second thing I hope that we are working towards is to have more than one solution in our toolbox. So maybe for PTSD, psychotherapy doesn't work for everyone, but maybe there's a medication as, a, as another tool, or maybe we know what the combination of a medication plus a psychotherapy will look like in a treatment plan. So we want to have more treatments, more advances across the board, but also know how to personally direct that treatment. That's what I think we're, we're really um, looking forward to and working on pretty, pretty strongly. You know, I, the last question I want to ask you, um, uh, I've, I believe that the VA has such a wide and broad range of folks that have served our country in terms of the diversity of, of illnesses that they may have. How does the VA help set, uh, let's just call it a standard for the rest of the medical community uh, to say, wait a minute, you know, this is what we're doing over here. Can you partner with us? How do you connect with uh, medical centers outside of the VA for collaboration? Oh, that is such a great question. I think um, because someone way back in the day had the foresight to co-locate our major VA hospitals next to major academic affiliates, we have a diffusion of intelligence that occurs naturally. A lot of our VA doctors have appointments at the academic affiliates. And mm. so um, I would say it's virtually seamless in terms of an academic type of partnership that you're asking about. Um, but it extends way beyond that. We're interested in partnering with, um, you know, individuals, companies, foundations that have potential solutions that we need mm. to include in research studies. Yeah, I think all of us across the board, whether it be our, 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 our folks that have served or the general population, we are all seriously concerned about the rise in uh, mental uh, illness as well as cognitive um, dysfunctions that are happening. And so it is so, so honoring to know that you all are out there researching because this is the only way we're really going to get at what it is we can provide for remedies. So thank you so much. One last question. What's your personal message? What would you like to leave us with today? Well, again, I, I want to thank the volunteers um, in our research uh, studies, which are our veterans, but also the scientists that bring the most important questions forward. I thank you for sharing the message. I think uh, your thoughts resonate with a, a whole bunch of people in your audience, and, and I appreciate that. Wow. Thank you so much. One more time, website. www.research.va.gov. Awesome. Thank you so much. We're going to take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show, talk radio to thrive by. I am so thrilled to be talking to all of you. We have got talk radio for all of us. Are you ready and willing and able to accept all of the abundance you can muster up in your life. Yeah. Check us out at drpatcho.com, transformationtalkradio.com, transformationradio.fm. Oh my goodness. Hey 
everybody, welcome. Welcome to our good news segment. I'm so thrilled today to have Dr. Christy Funk join us here today. Why? Beating breast cancer one test at a time. Dr. Christy is surgeon to the stars, author of Breast, the owner's manual, Arms Women Up with uh, arms women with up-to-date tools for detection, prevention, and treatment. This is such an important conversation right now. Many of you know that we have done so many shows about what it is we should know, how we should know it, and what we need to do. Today, so thrilled to be talking with her about what is it we know, what is it we think we know, and what should we really know. Dr. Funk, thank you for joining us here today. Welcome. Thanks for having me. You know, we, we have all these stories about breast cancer, and where do we get them from? We get them from our pop culture. We get them from television. We get them from movies. We get them. Some of them have truth in them. Some of them don't. But you're out there working with people that are high-profile, high-visibility people, but more importantly, the expectation of what you're, you know, required to provide people is way up there. So I'm thrilled to talk with you today about giving us an update on what women should really be looking for paying attention to these days, and more importantly, what the heck to ask your doctor for. Right. Well, I'm so excited to to be here right now to talk to you about all these things. They're so near and dear to my heart and my daily practice. This book, Breast the Owner's Manual, isn't like a data dump of everything I know as a physician. It's yeah. more like a passion project for me. I feel like I was born to write this book, <laughs> to come alongside women and write as though we're just two girlfriends chit-chatting over coffee, although every fact I say is steeped in scientific research and backed by fact. So one of the biggest surprises to women is that they thought they were sort of immune to this disease because it didn't, quote-unquote, run in their family. Right. And they are very shocked to find out that if you look at all women with breast cancer, 87% of them don't have a single first-degree relative with breast cancer. So as much as this can be a genetic disease that comes through an inherited mutation that you get from one of your parents, that accounts for only 10% of cancer. And I would say maybe another 10% just makes no sense. You know, it happens in someone young or in someone very healthy and fit, eats well, and does, quote, unquote, everything right. But then you've got this 50 pushing towards 80% of all breast cancers on planet Earth that could be eliminated if women understood that the daily choices they make, largely regarding food and nutrition, but also all of their lifestyle behaviors, these choices together move them closer to cancer or farther away. And in Breast the Owner's Manual, that is what I do. I teach women how, backed by science, each of these choices can be made to create a body that is anti-cancer and not pro-cancer. Yeah. So this is one of the most important conversations I think that we can have right now. And the reason is, you know, let's look at some of the statistics. First of all, you know, we're looking at statistics of obesity. So good news, bad news. Bad news, it's on the rise. Good news, children are not on the rise. That's number one. Number two, we're finding more and more women, people in general, but women are the ones that are out there are looking into what they're putting in their body and what they're putting in their family's body. How important is that today and why? The combination of what we eat and, and how large we are 
is really the, the two biggest drivers toward breast cancer or away, depending on whether you're doing it well or not. So and when it comes to food, I want women eating and feeding their families whole food, plant-based eating, tons of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, healthy fats like avocado and olives, legumes, lentils, beans, peas, nuts, nut butters. These foods, as you know, become phytonutrients inside our body, plant-based chemicals that make their way into our bloodstream and run around fueling our cells with anti-inflammation, anti-free radicals, anti-estrogen properties, all so very critical to keeping cancers at bay. And really, it's not just cancers. The eating this way yeah. will stave off all of our major killers, yeah. heart disease, diabetes, stroke, pan- um, uh, Alzheimer's, and other cancers too, and in men. And you know, autoimmune. Is- Let's just talk. I, I mean, my gosh, oh, yeah. autoimmune. I never thought in a million years that the majority of people in this country have heard the term autoimmune and inflammation. Right. Right. And eating this way is anti-inflammatory. So it calms autoimmune diseases down. The other thing you mentioned, weight, 68.8% of Americans are either overweight or obese. And the breast cancer connection there is simple. Fat cells literally turn steroids like testosterone and other things from an adrenal gland into estrogen. And since estrogen feeds and fuels 80% of breast cancer, the more weight you're carrying around, especially after menopause, the higher your estrogen levels are. Not enough to make you fertile or stop hot flashes, but plenty high enough to fuel a cancer. So being overweight is a huge risk factor. doubles the risk of getting breast cancer. And once you have it, it doubles your risk of recurrence and of death from breast cancer. But the good news there is you lose the weight, you lose the risk. Yeah. You know what? You know why I love this book and what you're talking about? Because I can't remember where in the book you say this, but you come out of the gate and you say that this is a multi-layered problem. I think you say something like that. So I apologize if I'm misquoting this. Um, and the reason that sounds like me. it sounds like you. Yeah. Um, the reason I think this is important is because when we talk about something like breast cancer, it sounds so singular. It sounds so unilaterally the thing. But what mm. you're, you're, you're saying to us is, wait a minute, there, this is a scenario that most of us have been building up towards in our lives, and we have to peel the layers back, and this is how we do it. Isn't that what your book is about? It's about this is how you do it. Exactly. It is a how-to guide. It's practical, actionable, affordable advice. And it give you, I give you the rationale behind it so mm-hmm. you're motivated to sustain these changes. Now, another, the other biggie is exercise. We just don't bust a move enough, you know, and we're busy. We, we women now have entered the workforce in droves, and we've got oftentimes kids to raise home to, and we just put ourselves last. But just like on an airplane when they say that oxygen mask falls down, you are to put it on yourself first. Mm-hmm before you even help the four-year-old child of yours sitting next to you. And that's how we need to attack our own life and health. We need to prioritize being healthy and exercise is one of the most important things women can do. Five hours a week, if you're just going to briskly walk and carry on a conversation with girlfriends, you get to cut it down to two and a half hours a week if you are really sweating and huffing and puffing. So those are our exercise goals. But I also encourage women, look, if that's impossible sounding to you and if you're really overweight, maybe have joint problems, et cetera. Maybe just walking around the block is all you can do today. I'm happy with that. I'll take it. Let's go once around the block and maybe next week we can go twice. 
Yeah, I love this. One of the things I want to ask you about, and I know these interviews are so short, um, I like to use the word misunderstanding, but it's really stronger than that. It's almost like we have a mythology around breast cancer. It's own little mythology volumes of books where we have myths about what it is, what to do, what not to do. Um, They're misconceptions that actually become truth. And that's really, I think, one of the most dangerous aspects of this. Give us a few of these uh, that we, sh- we really need to update our database of information. Yeah, there are some myths that keep you focused on the wrong things. There's so many things that do cause cancer. I'm going to take a load off for you here. Don't worry about deodorant and antiperspirants. Don't worry about your bra with or without an underwire. <laughs> Don't worry about cell phones. Uh, if you want to go hands-free and tuck it in your bra, those non-ionizing electromagnetic fields are just too wimpy to break DNA bonds. So don't worry about cell phones, microwaves, power lines, televisions, radios. Those just don't cause cancer. So I like to emancipate people from these ideas. Now, one thing that that people should remember, as much as we're talking about how much control we have and perhaps don't understand we have, there are are a host of inherited genetic mutations, 11 ones that are strongly connected to high risk of getting breast cancer. So you can test now for a couple hundred dollars. You can get an entire genetic panel. Um, which used to cost thousands, and you had to have a really strong family history of breast prior to age 50 or ovarian cancer or three or more cancers on one side. But now Color.com actually is a company that I like to use because their test is um, the most updated technology for gene sequencing, and it's really affordable. A couple hundred dollars, they mail you a kit, you spit in a tube, mail it back. Three to four weeks later, you will know your whole genetic panel. And with that comes, comes instead of fear, comes power. You can either enroll in higher-risk screening that you weren't doing before, like I put my, my gene mutation carriers into a protocol of MRI and then six months later mammogram if they're over 30 and ultrasounds and they suddenly start seeing me twice a year instead of just when they have an issue. And or you can take risk-reducing medications. You can even go all the way to risk-reducing surgery like prophylactic mastectomy or ovary removal as needed. So this is all detailed in the book, and as is like an emergency starter kit chapter for someone newly diagnosed, I delve into everything from a pathology report to the -the state-of-the-art treatments that they might want to consider. I just help a woman navigate. It gets so confusing so fast. Yeah. Well, before we, uh, you know, forget to do this, uh, I want to tell folks how they can get a copy of the book, how they can find out more about what you're doing. What's the best way for people to do that? Breastmanual.com. Lots of information and links to purchase the book. Okay. Uh, I want to just tap into this for a few minutes if we could. Uh, Like anything, there are things that we can eat, do, say, speak that will fuel something, meaning give it fuel to grow, flourish. But then there are things we can think, say, eat that annihilate the thing. Can you give us the short version of... The do's and don'ts. If you if you had to say to people now in this short interview, stop doing the following, what would that be? Stop eating so much meat and dairy and eggs. Okay. Stop sitting on the couch so much, bust a move. And stop drinking so much alcohol. No more than one drink a day. Those would be the three biggest. All right. And so flip side of that. Give me some of the do's, because this is a show about action and results, and we are, our population here, you're, you're talking to 
uh, millions of women through this show. So what do we want to say to folks? Listen, ladies, let's do this. Okay, ladies, I've got the answer here. You want to eat a whole food plant-based diet, so lots of fruits and veggies and whole grains. You want to get to an ideal body weight and stay there for your entire life. I want you exercising, as we said, between two and a half and five hours a week. Minimize or eliminate alcohol. Minimize or eliminate the meat, dairy, and eggs. And then two often overlooked aspects. One, stress reduction. I want you to meditate or pray or deep breathe for 20 minutes a day. And number two, I want you to purposefully surround yourself with friends and family who love, support, and encourage you. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, there are so many things now that we're learning. And, and the thing that's happening now that we didn't have 10 years ago is we are all connected to data and information. You know, sometimes that's good and sometimes not so good. I want to ask you this last question. Um, there are a lot of treatments out there. There are a lot of things to prevent. We're now starting to see some really innovative ideas around this that are coming from the natural arena. Do you happen to have in your toolkit um, one of these natural kinds of things that people should be thinking about. So what I mean by that is uh, I started to do infrared saunas. Now, I don't know if it's helping me or not, but I'll tell you, I feel a hell of a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> if you feel better, then keep it up. I do introduce complementary and alternative medicine in the book and in my practice. I am a strong believer in meditative yoga, tai chi, exercises like that, as well as acupuncture, specific herbs to address certain side effects and problems that come along with cancer treatment. The, a new hot, hot button is cannabinoids, CBD oils, which are non-psychotropic, which have very powerful anti-cancer properties associated with them. So there's a lot that you can do now and a lot on the horizon to explore. I love it. I want to thank you so much. One last question, uh, and please, let's give out your website again. One last question. What would you like to leave us with? What would be your personal message? My personal message would be that I want you to not be too hard on yourselves, ladies. Do your best and forget the rest. Eat well, live well, love well, but then let it go. Mm. Wow. Website again, please. And how do we get uh, a copy of the book? Breastmanual.com. All the links to all the major book retailers will be there. Breastmanual.com. Um, and I want to thank you personally. Um, I've lost too many of my friends to this disease and have had to learn about some of the things you talk about in the book. And I love that you're telling us to remember to put our friendships and love in the forefront, especially for ourselves. Thank you so much, Dr. Funk, for today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody, short break. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to our good news segment. Many of you have heard me talk about a very dear friend of mine that passed away several years ago from horrific information he got about the brain tumor that he had. Today, there is new hope, new hope for innovative treatment options in brain cancer care. And joining us here to talk about these, as May is Brain Tumor Awareness Month, is Dr. Stu, the medical director at Malnati Brain 
Tumor Institute at Northwestern Medicine in Chicago. Dr. Tube, thank you for joining us here today. Um, I, I believe that what we're starting to see now, just like it was uh, with breast cancer, is we're now seeing more and more people that we know in our close circle uh, having the diagnosis of a brain tumor. Is, is this on the rise? And, and today's show is about hope. But what has changed in the past several years here? Uh, thanks for having me. Numerous things have changed. Okay. Um, a, that we talk about, that we're aware, we have better diagnostics before patients were just, uh, you know, something was wrong, would pass away with even out the formal diagnosis. Mm. We have now all across the country expert centers like our Malnati Brain Tumor Institute here in Chicago, where we have a team of people who will dedicate their career and all their efforts to take care of patients with brain tumors. Um, we have better diagnostics. We get MRIs uh, easily and they're available so we can diagnose the brain tumors early. We have great surgery today and surgical tools that allow to better resect the tumors, to resect them safer, to resect more of the tumor, uh, which is all important uh, for the overall outcome and prognosis. We have better treatments afterwards, whether this is modern radiation, this is combined with chemotherapy. We have some targeted treatments on the horizon. We have tumor treating fields. And we have a lot of investigations and interest really taking care of uh, this segment of tumors that are rare, but uh, all as important as the more frequent tumors. Now, Dr. Stoops, this is your life's work, and I, I so honor the journey that you're on and the work that you're doing, um, because I think that we are now seeing more and more awareness. Even if, even if we believe that all brain tumors are the same, which they may not be, we are aware of them. We see it. You know, we saw it with uh, Senator Kennedy. Now we're seeing it with John McCain. Um, tell me this. Um, what is it that, 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 that people are being diagnosed as having, and what are the signs that people could now start to pay attention to more effectively? So we're talking about primary brain cancer. So this is disease that arises in the brain. And indeed, we have uh, both Senator McCain and the decade before Senator Kennedy uh, suffering from this uh, disease. Um, we now know that on a molecular level, there are several subtypes. This is not all the same tumor, and it allows us to better characterize and diagnose and also individually treat the, the, the tumors. We have better supportive care, so we make sure that we do less damage and we really can uh, better focus on quality of life uh, just as much as uh, life. Our population is aging. So with uh, more and more people getting older, um, and this is a tumor that arises more frequently uh, in the elderly, uh, so we also diagnose uh, more of these tumors as the population is uh, aging. Mm -hmm. and, and so people, you know, as we look at this, this becomes, this becomes really difficult, doesn't it? Really, when we look at looking at some of the symptoms and what to be aware of, because some of the symptoms we see you know, uh, uh, and we'll, let's talk about them, can also be confusing and written off as, oh, you know what, you're just getting older. 
That's it. You're you you that that you're just getting older. That's just like the stuff of getting old. But it doesn't matter uh, whether the public uh, is aware or not aware. What matters is that we're providing this information so people can make informed decisions, right? Yeah, so I, I think it's, you know, in some patients it may be mistaken by just being uh, getting older or this is Alzheimer's or dementia, mm. but uh, we readily now would get an imaging in the brain before we yeah. just give somebody a diagnosis of having the brain getting older and will detect a tumor. And then it really depends where the tumor is located, whether it is just personality changes, people getting depressed, uh, memory loss, or whether there is stroke-like symptoms that like uh, they can't speak anymore correctly or they lose the function in an arm or in a leg. Um, what we also see sometimes is uh, seizures. Um, because where the tumor is located, it may cause a seizure and patients would come to emergency room with a seizure out of a blue sky. Mm. I think the diff big difference today is that we readily go to imaging technology, uh, MRI, CAT scans, and that will actually reveal the nature of the disease. You know, isn't it really fascinating the advances now we're making in technology? I, I mean, I, I, I am just so amazed by what we're discovering and things we're discovering that or haven't even been used yet, like nanotechnology. I want to ask you this question. Um, tell us a little bit about the treatments, because I, I think people watch a lot of movies, they see things they don't quite understand, but I think it's important to, to look at what is now the latest in advanced treatments. What have you all discovered and, and how are they working? So the future is now. Yeah. And it's true you have been alluding to there is many advances uh, that are coming, that are ongoing. Of course, you get the headlines once in a while when there's usually uh, 10 or 15 years of work. Yeah. You mentioned nanotechnology. Um, we have team members here in Chicago who are experts in nanotechnology and have now used nanotechnology to deliver uh, new drugs or new treatment approaches, uh, anti-sensferic DNA uh, to the tumor using nanotechnology. That's just one way yeah. to actually make progress. And let me maybe just stay a second on that topic Please. because one of the challenges is when you treat brain tumors is that our drugs will not reach the tumor, will yeah. not cross the blood-brain barrier, and here nanotechnology can help. Yeah. There are other technologies we have on the horizon, like ultrasound to open the blood-brain barrier. There are uh, ongoing projects uh, that we and others have to see how we can open so actually the drugs and the, uh, we give can be delivered to the brain. There is injection of viruses with uh, link to stem cells to that given upfront in the setting so that could escape the immune system on one side, then stimulate the immune system, infect the tumor cells and destroy the tumor cells that are far from the original site where we inject and the original site where we see the tumor. Yeah. Last I, but I'm, not least, um, go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. I, I think that, you know, based on what, what I've been, you know, hearing people talk about here, there's almost like this exponential acceleration 
of new ideas, techniques, and approaches to this. And you know what? Excuse my ignorance, but it almost sounds like it's overnight. Now, I know you've been working for decades on this, but it, it sounds like there is so much possibility now. Uh, indeed, there is enormous amount of possibilities. But actually, this is now also a challenge. We need to get this focused. We need to get these uh, possibilities tested in a systematic way to figure out which of the possibilities will pan out, where we need to modify, and which approaches, as theoretically appealing they may be, actually will not work. And the quicker we, uh, we get these kind of answers, uh, the quicker we really make tangible progress. Now, for this, we do clinical trials, and that's where, surely where my expertise is, taking the ideas, testing them rigorously, uh, finding out what works, and that's how we developed temozolomide, how we developed uh, tumor-treating fields, or also figure out how things do not work, and then uh, move on and say this is not yet ready for prime time. Yeah. You know, can we stop for a minute and let folks know how they can find out more about this? Because I really do believe education and information is at the core of, of healing. And um, how can they find out more about this and how can they find out how to get some help? So the Internet has a lot of information. I think I want to just direct you to two websites. One is the American Brain Tumor Association, abta.org, where there is a lot of information and also links uh, to other websites. And the other is our own website at the Molnati Brain Tumor Institute at the Northwestern Medicine in Chicago, where we have uh, braintumorinstitute.org, braintumorinstitute, all in one word, .org. It's a brand new website that also will give additional information and link out to other websites. I would advise, however, to also seek expertise in one of the expert centers mm -hmm. uh, in the country to really guide uh, the questions you may have, because only on the Internet it may be somewhat confusing. Right. It may also be somewhat depressing, because there's a lot of numbers that may not apply to an individual patient. Yeah. You know, thank you for that. I want to ask, I know our time is short today. I want to ask you this. What is it that you're most excited about when you think about one, two, and three years from now? What is it you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, if we could implement this now? I think our genetic understanding of the tumors will allow for individualized treatment. I think that's clearly the close collaboration with the basic scientists, with the neuropathologists. So we have individual treatments. We can have the treatment for a patient-specific tumor type. That's one. I think what is on the horizon, not yet ready for prime time in brain tumors, is clearly immunotherapy. And here we have some exciting projects uh, looking how to stimulate the, the patient's own immune system to really uh, take advantage of what the novel drugs and technology has to offer. Yeah, I mean, it really is an exciting field. And thank you so much for your contribution in this. Thank you for dedicating a lifetime to saving lives. One last question. What would you like to leave us with today? What's your personal message here, Dr. Stoop? I think patients should keep their hope uh, no matter what they've read, and they should seek advice early on in the disease course uh, by an expert center where people from different disciplines work together very closely and very carefully. 
So we can uh, treat it. If we cannot cure it, we can make your life better with the disease and we can uh, improve your quality of life. Oh, thank you so much for today. Thank you for taking the message out there. And I want to remind everybody, if you want to find out more, go to BrainTumorInstitute.org. BrainTumorInstitute.org. Let's take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.